And welcome in to the Kilcoin Conversation right here from the KTRS studios. Martin Kilcoin with you. It is a football Monday, and I know we hate the NFL around here. That's well documented. We hate the league. We love the game. That's been our saying since 2016 with the Rams exit. You cannot ignore uh, the NFL as much as you want to. I, I respect people who have said, I don't watch. Now, that's a, a very small number in this planet that we live in. But I respect folks who say that. But I want to dig in on all of this. And Trey Wingo, friend of the show, will check in from Hawaii. I want to talk to Trey about his life after ESPN. He was on TV forever, really became ensconced in all of their NFL coverage, and then left after doing the morning show for a while. It was, what, Wingo and Golick, which replaced Mike and Mike. Uh, he leaves ESPN, and he, he seems to be – having more fun than ever. He's online with Chase Daniel. They do a number of different football-related commentaries and videos. I think it's the 33rd team. But he's got his hands in a lot of different things. Lives in Hawaii. Seems to be playing golf all the time. I never thought I'd say, I want to be Trey Wingo. We'll uh, we'll get into it with him a little bit later talking NFL on this Monday. Much to discuss, including the Lions meltdown. You know, is it worse for Detroit fans to – Get your hopes up. You know, every year you just are the lovable losers. You don't go anywhere. It's fine. And then all of a sudden you've got a team. Wait a minute. This this is going to be that year. This is that special team that finally gets to the Super Bowl. How short is the list? Never been to a Super Bowl. Browns, we know. Cleveland Browns, Detroit Lions, and Texans and Jags. It's a little unfair because they're newer. But Detroit, having been around all these years, I think it's worse that they were tantalized. And at halftime, they're winning 24-7 over the Niners. And Paul Pabst, who is Dan Patrick's longtime producer, tweeted out and said, as a lifelong Cubs fan, let me tell you how painful or how difficult these next 30 minutes are going to be because you're going to be nervous as all get out. Even if they had maintained the lead, you would have been nervous. But obviously they didn't. They collapsed. And now Detroit (laughs) was on the – precipice of being a Super Bowl team has got a long winter ahead to think about what might have been and we're going to talk about Dan Campbell and all those decisions get into that with Trey one thing I don't like is Dan Campbell was dismissed by many because he has the tough guy talk it's old school dismissed as kind of a meathead right he's just kind of the "Eh, we're going to bite their kneecaps and it became a whole thing and I think he's obviously a very good coach he has to be to get them motivated playing at this level. They've won a lot of games. They've done things the the Lions have never done. But I hate the fact that this not going for field goals, doing it his way, it furthers sort of that meathead narrative. And I just, I kind of hate that. Because I people that would mock him in the past, I thought, oh, that's just too easy, right? That's a, it's an easy out if you don't like the guy or you don't like his style. But if you wrote the headlines at halftime, it would have been all about Dan Campbell, the savior. It would have been all about the Lions finally getting over the hump. We would have been mocking Steve Wilkes, who is the defensive coordinator for the Niners, and he deserved it. I mean, the Lions were just eating his defense apart. And for Mizzou fans, you were probably having a little PTSD. Steve Wilkes' Mizzou defense in 2021 was horrific. He just keeps popping up places. You would have said, well, maybe Brock Purdy's not the guy. Maybe he's not special. And you would have said Kyle Shanahan yet again in a big game either wets the bed or collapses. All these things were true at halftime. But it's one of the reasons I don't like to tweet a lot during games because it changes. It changes quickly. 
So all of that goes out the window. The Niners are going to the Super Bowl, and then the Chiefs, we're going to get into this in great detail, but have won in a different fashion. They're a defensive-oriented team now. And Steve Spagnuolo, yes, that guy, one of the worst head coaches ever, one of the worst head coaches, and did a terrible job in the building, was a tyrant at times. He and Billy Devaney, it was a reign of terror. And I'll never change my opinion about that, but he deserves credit because the Chiefs' defense is good. It's got him going back to the Super Bowl. And I think from the network perspective, the league, Chiefs, 49ers, that sounds like a pretty cool matchup. And, of course, it's a rematch from four years ago. So get ready for a lot of a lot of Chiefs talk in St. Louis. I, I'm on that. I don't know if it's a rare position where I'm happy, I'm fine if they win, but I don't pull for them, and I don't feel like they're, quote, our team. And I don't want anybody to tell me, you need more Chiefs coverage. Uh, in fact... What I got on Sunday night, and this is unbelievable, it's what, a championship Sunday. The Blues won their fifth in a row. Brendan and I are going to talk about this later. Somebody kept calling the sports office, and there is caller ID, so you can see a person's name. So I know if it's the assignment desk or the, the studio, like who's calling? It's somebody's name. And like I, I, it's almost 11 o'clock. I want to go home. I'm not going to answer it. I'm not afraid to talk to people. I just don't want to answer it. It just keeps ringing. Hang up, call it. So finally, I picked up the phone. I told producer Dave Job, I said, I'm going to answer it. I said, hello, sports. Yeah, yeah, you showed uh, you showed the NFL today. I said, yes, we did. Yeah, you did a whole breakdown on the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah, you showed the NHL, right, the Blues? And I said, absolutely. He said, you didn't show any of the Monster Jam. I said, I'm sorry, what? The Monster Jam down at the Dome. And I'm like, I am aware that it was going on. Yeah, you didn't have any highlights of that. And I said, you are correct. We did not have any highlights of the Monster Jam. I said, sometimes we'll feature a driver. Sometimes we'll go down when they're setting up and just see all the dirt. I said, but uh, sorry about that. We did not. I thought of all the things to be complaining about and calling persistently. And he wasn't overly hostile or rude. He said, I would have bet $1,000 you would not have highlights of the Monster Jam. And I said, sir, that's an easy bet. <laughs> because even if I did... I'm not sure what I would say. <laughs> I don't know how you call highlights. So I'm happy the Dome had the Monster Jam. For all of those who were let down by our lack of coverage, I apologize greatly. Um, but the Blues did wedge their way into the conversation, and I think they were the top story locally. Because, again, this Chiefs thing, I'll say it again, I don't live in Lee Summit. It's great. I'm The other side of the state, it's good for Missouri. All, all that's true. But it's not, quote, my team, okay? But the Blues wedged their way in by winning five in a row in dramatic fashion. It's unbelievable how this all just sort of happens. Three of the last four were in overtime, all by the same score, 4-3. So five in a row, the last four, all by the same score, 4-3. to three. The last three, all in overtime. And the Blues are about to hit the break. They've got Columbus coming in on Tuesday night, then it's an extended all-star break. So they're getting hot at the right time. And I think for Doug Armstrong, his job right now is to be looking for the best candidates. Who should be the next head coach of the St. Louis Blues? And he's got to be thinking about every big name that's out there, anybody he's ever been associated with. And at the same time saying, well, I can't I can't pull the trigger yet because if this Drew Bannister guy who – Maybe I didn't expect much. Maybe I thought this group's not going to do anything. Deep down, maybe that's what he thought. He might have to reconsider. So you can't pull the trigger and say, I got a guy. 
Because what if ba- if Bannister gets to the playoffs? That's a great job. From where this team was, what expectations were, do you give them the job then? Do you have to? Can you go outside and say, hey, that, that was great. I mean, I guess you can do anything. When the Bucks fire a coach in the NBA and they're 30 and 13, I guess anything's possible. But I think Doug Armstrong right now isn't sure, and he's got time to figure this out. But I think he's out there thinking of the best possible candidates and at the same time having to be fair to Drew Bannister. So good for the Blues. We'll talk more about that a little bit later in the show. Trey Wingo is the guest. City SC, by the way, in town this week, which surprised me because they were in Florida. They're going to California, but they are spending this week in town. So we'll have a little more soccer talk. Next month, season begins, and when City Park gets fired up, it's the best time to be hanging out at the pitch. Right across the street, the pitch is the latest creation from Bob and Steve O'Loughlin. It's also the soccer hangout in St. Louis. People figured this out last year. You love soccer. You want to watch the Champions League or Bundesliga. Hang out at the pitch right there on the west side of Union Station, directly across from City Park. You can't miss it. The pitch, awesome spot to hang out before a City SC game, after the game. Or if you don't have tickets, I say it all the time. It's a great place to be just to take in the festivities, that atmosphere, the game day vibe that you get. If you don't have tickets, you'll have a ton of fun just hanging out at the pitch. Or if you go to the Blues game on Tuesday night, walk right down Market Street. You're right there. The pitch, beautiful athletic club and tavern. And that phrase, athletic club, what does that mean, tavern? Go to New York City, there's places called athletic club. You walk in, you see that kind of rich mahogany wood, oversized chairs and couches where you can just sit and get comfortable. It's really a hangout more than anything else. So stop by and see him. Soccer is just about back downtown. Also for lunch and happy hour, great place to hang out. For more, you can go to thepitch-stl.com. And joining us right now to talk some football, Trey Wingo. You know him well from his time here in town and also at ESPN. And I don't even know how to introduce you. You have so many different venues and ventures that you're a part of right now. The 33rd team, we see you doing videos with former Mizzou star Chase Daniel. Uh, Trey, good to talk to you. How is your how is your football world? Well, uh, Martin, it's always good to be on with you. And, yeah, things are great here. I do a lot of work for the 33rd team. Uh, I do something with the Stunt app, uh, downloaded. It's basically... Twitter, but just for sports, so all the crap that you have to go through to Twitter to get your sports content is already filtered out. It's just a great platform where people can just chop up sports, the stunt app, download it, whatever you want. Got a new podcast coming out after the Super Bowl with my former sports center co-host Kevin Frazier for Amazon and Wondery called uh, Alternate Routes. That whole premise is take one moment in sports history, like what happens if Trent Green from Biani High School doesn't get hurt in that preseason game against the Chargers. What happens to the Rams? Does Kurt Warner ever see the field? Does he become a guy whose life has made it to that movie? Or does Trent Green take all the glory and Kurt Warner is still back at the hy store, stock and shelves uh, in Iowa? So that's the whole premise of the show. Amazon and Wondery together. Real excited about that one. Oh, I love that premise. I'm Now it's got my brain spinning with all these what might have been, what could have been. Uh, and I feel like the easiest way for people, just go to Twitter, and then you can find all of Trey's different projects that he's a part of. But be, I'm going to warn people, they're going to feel terrible about their lives because Trey's either at a golf course, he's staring out at the ocean, uh, he's in Hawaii. You'll feel really crappy about your life. Thanks for that, Trey, by the way. They say if you reach one person, you've done your job. Right. So you're in Hawaii. Is this your winter time? You're, you're not there year-round, are you? 
No, half the year. We spend a half the year out here, and then the other part, half of the year, we're on the, the Connecticut, Rhode Island coast in our place over there. So, yeah, life is not terrible. No, not at all. Again, this is like we had Pat Sajak on the show one time, and I said, "What's your recording schedule?" And he said, "You don't want to know." And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "He, he goes, he goes. I do about a week, uh, a month, and then I, I'm back home, and uh, I think he's in the Maryland area. And he goes, I'm home for like three weeks, and I fly out in one week. We knock it all out. And he goes, "You don't, you don't want to know my life. It's pretty good." And I'm like, "Okay, uh, yeah. well, let, let's dig in on this championship Sunday. It's unbelievable how the NFL just controls our sports narrative." And the games are so darn compelling. What do you think was the top headline coming out of Sunday? Was it Dan Campbell and the Lions blowing it? Was it Mahomes getting back to a Super Bowl? Was Shanahan maybe some redemption? What do you think was the top story? Well, listen, I think the thing that most people are talking about today is how both teams that lost lost those games. And I understand that. For me, we're looking at generational greatness. I, I you know, this is. I put some numbers together before the championship game, and Martin, as a baseball guy, you'll appreciate this. Like the thing that separated Derek Jeter is how good he was in the postseason. Right? He was really good in the regular season, all that kind of stuff. And people can have their arguments about his defensive liability, blah blah blah, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, in the postseason, it's really hard to score runs and really hard to hit against great pitching, right? Well, Derek Jeter played in 158 postseason games in his career, which by in and of itself is an insane number. So he basically played a regular season in the postseason. And he hit 308, 20 home runs, 61 RBIs, scored 111 runs. So he was just as good as he was in the regular season, he kicked it up a notch in the postseason. Well, that was Patrick Mahomes' 17th postseason game. So now he's played what would be considered a full season of postseason games in his NFL career. The Chiefs are 14-3 and in those games. He's accounted for 45 total touchdowns, eight turnovers, completed 67% of his passes, and has a passer rating of 107, which is a nice way of saying he elevates his play when it matters the most. I mean, they went down the field yesterday on the first two drives to score touchdowns on the road against the number one scoring defense in the NFL, and then they hung on because the Chiefs had the second best scoring defense in the NFL. So a lot of people are going to talk about Dan Campbell's decisions, and we can do that, and what Lamar Jackson didn't do and I'm happy to have that conversation as well. But for me, whenever I see generational greatness, that's exactly where I gravitate towards, too. This guy is on a path to be the greatest quarterback that has ever taken his hands under the butt of a center and received a snap. And you know what I notice is he's rarely touched. There's two things with the Chiefs. Why is Kelsey always open? You know he's going to be getting the ball. <laughs> Why is Kelsey always open and Mahomes is barely touched throughout? I mean, just historically, you can almost it's like when you pictured Warner in the heyday, he'd be back there yeah. flipping the football in his hand. He had so much time to look around. And a lot of it Mahomes creates with his legs that he buys time, but I feel like he's rarely touched. Yeah, well listen, they did a great job revamping that offensive line after they uh, lost the AFC championship game. Uh, or excuse me, after they lost the uh, uh, the Super Bowl to uh, Super Bowl fifty five to the uh, to the Bucks where they were out there two chart starting tackles to start the season you know, uh, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, and they, they're interior three. Now, Joe Tooney didn't play yesterday. Uh, Nick Allegretti played for him and played great. But they're interior three, pre-dunk-free, Trey Smith at right guard, and uh, Joe Tooney, when he's healthy, on the left guard, are as good as any three in football. That was the first time in four postseason games he was sacked. So you're right. Uh, they, they do a great job protecting him, even though they had some issues with their tackle. But you mentioned Kelsey, right? Kelsey now... I mean, there are three certainties in life. Death, taxes, and Mahomes to Kelsey in a playoff game for a touchdown. 
They are the most prolific quarterback pass catcher touchdown tandem in the history of the NFL when it comes to postseason. They have 17 touchdown passes between the and receptions between the two of them. That's more than anybody. And yesterday, Travis Kelsey passed Jerry Rice for more postseason catches than anyone else in the history of football. I don't care who you are. When you pass Jerry Rice, it's time to understand what we're talking about here. And those linebackers for the Ravens were so much better than the linebackers for the Bills, and he still got open. He was targeted 11 times, had 11 catches for 116 yards and a touchdown. That's an insane stat line. Trey Wingo, our guest, talking NFL. It's what he does. It's what he's done for a long time. All right, let's get into the Lions conversation here. Um, and I understand it's who they are. It's what they do. But let, let's go through these because they did kick a field goal at the end of the first half when it was a yep. fourth down, and it was even more – I mean, maybe more egregious because if that's what they do, they were that close, I think two- or three-yard line – from really blowing it wide open. I'm glad they kicked that field goal, and I guess he told reporters, right. hey, we were just a smidge too far. But to me, that's a little inconsistent. Then we don't do it twice in the second half, but you did do it at the end of the half. That, that to me, stands out. Martin, I think you're 100% right, and what you just said is where a lot of people get stuck. Because no one went, more, went, went for it more this season on fourth down and whatever, fourth and five, fourth and four, fourth and three, than Dan Campbell on the line. And, you know, people say, well, it worked all season. That's who we are. That's the worst argument, in my opinion, you can make. Because every moment is different, right? Every single moment in a game is different. And you have to judge those moments based on what's happening around you. The, the 49ers had just scored to make it 24-10 to 10 on the first fourth and two from the 28-yard line. So what's the more prudent play? All right, let's, we're on the road. Nobody outside of Jared Goff and I think Alex Anzalone has ever been in this moment before. So let's just settle ourselves down. We'll back up by 17 and see what happens. No, we're confident we're going to make it. We're going to go for it. That, that's, that's, a, that's not a prudent decision. Every decision has to be judged by the moment, not by that's who we are. The best coaches see the moment and the situation and adapt to that situation. And I want to be clear. I think Dan Campbell is an amazing coach. He's going to do amazing things for Detroit. He's done amazing things for Detroit. But this was a learning experience that he needs to learn from. He should have kicked that one. And the next time down, when it was fourth and three from the 30, he should have kicked that one. Do the math. If you do the math in that situation, they win the game. It's that simple. And, and for people to say, well, it's how we've always done it. Like, no, that's, that's, that's awful coaching. That's awful game management. The best coaches don't say this is who we are. The best coaches say, what do we need to do to win? And the thing that would have helped them is to go back up by 17 points. Because you go back up by 17 points, and suddenly the pressure becomes a little greater for Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers, who have had a history of not clinching the deal in conference championship games in recent memory. So I, I, just, I just think he didn't realize the moment and didn't realize the magnitude. And boy, once that happened, uh, momentum slipped magically. Now look, they also dropped passes, and they had Kendall Vildor, you know, get one off his head that, that returned into a 51-yard reception for Brennan Ice. But those are all also part of teams not handling the moment very well. And I have a feeling if you go back up by 17 on that first kick, maybe they feel a little more comfortable in the surroundings in the moment. And I think if you tie it late, it just kind of quiets down the Niner momentum. And I know what he was saying. Yep. Hey, the way the Niners were going, he sort of knew, hey, they're probably going to score again. But so what? If they do, they only lead by a touchdown. You can't give them the chance exactly. to go up by. I just – and it, it mystifies me in these big games. I know he's a relatively newer coach. 
but it just mystified. This guy knows way more about football than I ever will. But in that moment, do you think anybody taps him on the shoulder or says, hey, don't do this? Or do you think it's solely his call? Well, listen, I'll give you a great example of that because even the best coaches succumb to that. Right? Andy Reid did that in the first half against the, uh, against the Ravens. Yeah. They were up 14-7 to after the fumble by Lamar Jackson. They got down there and they got the third and one or third and nine, and Kelsey came up just short. The Jackson got stuffed in fourth and one. They had a chance to go 17 to seven with six minutes to play in the uh, in the second quarter, and he decides to go for it. Well, if they go up by 10, then the pressure, which got to Lamar in that game, and we'll have that discussion in a little bit, suddenly becomes more dialed up, and they may have a chance to go up 20 to seven at the half instead of 17 to seven. Uh, you know, even the best coaches do it. But to your point about what you just said, one of my favorite Dick Vermeil stories of all time, he was with the Rams. You know, Mike Marks was a mad genius, right, the offensive coordinator. And you had, you know, Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and Isaac Keene and Ernie Conwell and all these great weapons on offense. Every once in a while, Dick Vermeil would get on the headset and tell Mike Marks, give the ball to 28. Give the ball to 28, Marshall Fawn. That was him reining in his offensive coordinator. And I think someone on that Detroit staff should have said, hey, this is the more prudent play. And I think coaches that understand that and receive that coaching from themselves end up being better in the long run. And that was the story I always heard at Super Bowl thirty six in New Orleans that Wilbert Montgomery went up to Mike Martz and said, Hey man, the yep. pa- the Patriots are begging you to run it. They they're take they want to yep. take away the pass so bad, give it to twenty eight, give it, and it didn't happen, famously. But you need guys like that, I guess, willing to say it. The difference is Vermeil was the head coach, so he could make that that ultimate call there. Moving forward for the Lions, I, I liked how honest he was, and he said, yeah. we may never be back here again. And I thought, oh, my God, that almost makes it worse, even though it's true. Yeah. Uh, how good are they moving forward? I, I think they're in good shape, but I'll tell you this. The, the Packers are for real, for real. I mean, like, you go back and look at the numbers from week 12 on in the regular season through the, the fourth quarter the first three quarters of the divisional game against the Packers, excuse me, the Niners, you can make the case that Jordan Love was the best quarterback in football along those lines. The Packers have the youngest roster in the NFL, and I know this is music to your Wisconsin ears. Uh, they have the youngest roster in the NFL. They had six rookies catch a touchdown pass this season. That has never happened before in NFL history. So the Lions are good. They're set up to be good for a, a, a good long time, but that division is not going to be a cakewalk with the way the Packers may become the first team ever, Martin, that I can think of, to do it three times in a row correctly. Franchise quarterback to franchise quarterback to franchise quarterback. So there, there is a good future in Detroit, but it's not going to be easy because the, the Packers are coming. Yeah, That's a great point. I mean, maybe that rivalry emerges here with Lions and Packers and the Jordan Love thing. Trust me, my Chicago friends are saying, oh my God, is it happening again? I mean, it's 30 years of yeah. quarterback, not just stability, but potentially here, quarterback greatness from Favre to Rodgers and now potentially to Jordan Love. How about for the 49ers? Is the pressure off Shanahan? I mean, you know at halftime yesterday, the headline would have been Shanahan can't win the big game. Purdy's okay, but not special. Where, where do you think the pressure is on Shanahan right now? Does he have to win for that to go away? Yeah, I, I think he does because as you look at this time, whether he was the offensive coordinator for the uh, – for the Falcons in Super Bowl 51, which was the greatest comeback in the history of the NFL. They were down 28-3, to the Patriots were. Couldn't finish the deal there. On third and one, the infamous play, when they're up 28-12, with just about eight and a half minutes to play in that game. Third and one, and he calls a seven-step drop. Why would you call a seven-step drop on third and one? How about hand the ball off? Even if you don't get the first down, you know what you do? 
punt the ball away to the Patriots, and suddenly the idea of those two touchdowns and two-point conversions to force it to overtime becomes increasingly more difficult. Instead, Dante Hightower gets the strip sack, Brady gets a whip of potentially winning the game, and they go down and score twice, and they win in overtime. All of that probably doesn't happen if Kyle Shanahan just runs the frickin' ball on third and one, which is, by the way, what they did a lot in Atlanta that year. And then, of course, you go back to Super Bowl 54, which is the rematch we'll see in a couple of weeks here uh, in Las Vegas. You know, the Chiefs had just scored to make it uh, 20 to twenty to 17, and it's a three-point game. And on first down after that, they rip off seven straight yards. And then Shanahan on the next two downs throws the ball. And one is tipped by Chris Jones, another one's incomplete. Chiefs get the ball back, come right down and score, 24 to 20. And then they end up winning that game by 11 when they were down by 10 with nine minutes to play in the fourth quarter. So I do think the pressure's still on Kyle Shanahan to finish the deal. And good luck, because the guy standing in his way, why would you ever bet against him? Yeah, Mahomes, Andy Reid, oh, just the whole combination there. Super Bowl 58 from Vegas, I, I would assume. Trey Wink, are you on site for the Super Bowl? I will be there, yeah. Oh, you can't you can't have a Vegas Super Bowl without uh, Trey Wingo. How about a quick thought on who wins that? Who that match? You said you can't bet against Mahomes and the Chiefs. I do think that last game, immediate, we do it all the time, right? Oh, the last time you yeah. met in eight, 1784. Like we all, but this one's relevant because it's so recent. I think that'll get brought up a lot, and I think for Shannon it probably is on his mind. Who do you think wins? Well, listen, you're right. and I hate, I hate stats. Like they had this thing uh, yesterday. It was like the Niners have been in 19% of all NFC championship games. Like, well, great, but Jerry Rice and Joe Montana and John Taylor, you know, you know, all these guys, Ronnie Lott, they're not playing, so that has no relevance in this game. Um, there are a lot of guys that are very similar. Uh, I think Brock Purdy is an upgrade from Jimmy Garoppolo, but Patrick Mahomes is Patrick freaking Mahomes. Like, doubt him at your own peril, you know? He's played six seasons. They've hosted the AFC Championship game five years in a row. That's never happened. They've played in a conference championship game six straight seasons. He's going to his fourth Super Bowl. For perspective, okay? Everyone talks about Tom Brady as the GOAT, and you can – Obviously, have that argument not because of Super Bowl for me, but because he has every stat imaginable to back up his play. Um, you know what Tom Brady did in his first full season as a starter? They didn't make the playoffs. Okay, <laughs> now they went on to win the next two Super Bowls, thirty-eight and thirty-nine. But like the consistency we're seeing out of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid at this level has never happened before. It's never happened before. Is it possible San Francisco can win? Yeah, I think they're two and a half, three-point favorites at this point. But why would you bet against this guy? Like, in what universe do you think, yeah, I don't think this guy's going to do it, but that's all he does. This is arguably the most flawed team he's ever had. The team led the league in drops. They had the most penalized player uh, in the NFL playing right tackle, and they're paying him $20 million for this. They have wide receivers that they don't even dress anymore because they can't trust him as Kadarius Tony. So, oh, by the way, they find a seventh-round running back in Isaiah Pacheco who can carve you up and runs like his hair's on fire, and they have the second-best scoring defense and the number-one scoring defense in the second half. Give me Patrick Mahomes with those things, I like my chances 100 times out of 100. All right, what's next for Bill Belichick? We're going to ask Trey Wingo that when we come back. One of our great sponsors is AAA Home Services, and right now it's a great time to get a new furnace. Best rebates going in a long time right now. Those rebates available to you. AAA Home Services, the time to get that new furnace. You know all about AAA. They've been keeping folks comfortable here in St. Louis for 54 years. They've been part of our great Mizzou coverage. We appreciate them being a sponsor of all things Mizzou. This is a local company 
that you can deal with whenever you have heating and cooling needs, and especially right now, wintertime, if the furnace isn't right, that's a big, big deal. So check them out online at aaastl.com. That's aaaastl.com. Look for all those different rebates. Best time to buy is right now. If you've been putting it off, cash in on those great rebates. It's the time to do it. AAA Home Services, Home Services, what does that mean? How about appliance repair, electrical, plumbing, heating and cooling, all of it, one spot. AAA Home Services, they are your go-to place for all your home needs. On the web, and also you can call them directly at 636-397-3200. 636-397-3200. AAA Home Services. AAA is on the way, and when you hear that, that's good news. AAAstl.com. And back with Trey Wingo. You can find him on Twitter. Find him on the 33rd team. So many different ventures that he's got going on right now. Uh, and we love talking football. Just a few more thoughts. Bill Belichick is obviously the biggest name out there. I was curious what his market would be. Do you think he sits out this year and then he's a year older next year? What do you think's next for him? Well, I think he's going to coach again because once Don Shula made the comments, the late, great Don Shula, about you know the plate gate, or spy gate, rather, excuse me, and how that tarnished his legacy, Bill was open, like, really? I'm going to take your record. Um, obviously, it hasn't gone well the last three years in New England outside of uh, when, when uh, Tom Brady left. But Bill's smart enough, I believe, to know that what he's been through with Cam Newton and Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, that if you don't have a quarterback, you can't win. I'm going to throw a wild scenario out here. Don't be surprised if after this season, or maybe next, Big Red decides he's had enough and Andy Reid walks away. Or what's the perfect scenario for Bill Belichick? I don't think he's getting a job in Seattle. I don't think they want him to take the job in Seattle. But the idea of Bill Belichick suddenly walking into Arrowhead and inheriting Patrick Mahomes and potentially a really, really good defense, which is his forte to begin with, I mean, that's like Phil Jackson going from Pippen and Jordan in Chicago to Shaq and Kobe in L.A. That's how you get all those rings. And I do believe Bill, Bill is a coach. That's all he is. That's all he knows. That's all he wants to do. I'm not sure he's going to coach this year, but don't be surprised if there's a sudden sudden resignation or departure in Kansas City that Bill Belichick pops up uh, at Arrowhead next year. Wow. That is, a, that is a fascinating deep tease clip and save. Belichick to the Chiefs. That would be. I'll have to warn the media friends over there in Kansas City. Hey, we were br- briefly talked about the Ravens not getting it done. What's a fair critique yeah. of Lamar? Because he is a tremendous quarterback, tremendous athlete, and people maybe maybe doesn't have to be the greatest passer in the world. He can still be a superstar type player. People seem kind of obsessed with critiquing him. What do you think's fair? Uh, he's a, he's the MVP. He's an excellent quarterback. But the Ravens as a unit failed yesterday. The moment was too big for them. They were the better team. They were at home. They should have won. But go down what we saw. They had four personal foul penalties, and each one of them was egregious and stupid and obvious, okay? Whether it was Kyle Van Noy headbutting Travis Kelsey, who was yapping, but that's what you're supposed to do. If, you're, if your opponent's going to be that dumb, let him be that dumb. Then you had 98 hit Patrick Mahomes in the head as he was running by. That's the most obvious foul of all time, right? And then you have... Uh, Jadavion Clowney headbutting Mahomes. Well, of course that's going to be a penalty. And then Zay Jones, by the way, after that huge reception, stands up and taunts over luxurious needs. You're going to get that call every time. It's in the rule book. You can't stand over them or use the ball or any of that. He did it all. What happens on the very next play? Speed comes up with the play of the ages to knock that ball out. Ironically, coincidentally, karmically, however you want to call it, 
the week after Miko Harmon kept Buffalo in the game by doing the same thing against the Bills at the goal line for the Kansas City Chiefs. But you look at Lamar. He had five completions in the first half. One was to himself, okay? He had a fumble in the first half with a strip sack. He had an interception where he threw into triple coverage. He also had one he threw right in the hands of Nick Bolton in the third quarter that could have been a pick six. The moment got to Lamar. Let's just be honest about it. That's not saying he can't overcome that. Look at Peyton Manning's struggle early in his playoff career. You know, 41 to nothing to the Jets one time before he figured it out and uh, arguably is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game and has two Super Bowl wins on his resume. So it's not too late for Lamar. The problem is you've got Michael Jordan over there in Kansas City, and he's going to have to be bad for someone else to get past him, and you can't play against Patrick Mahomes the way Lamar plays. But I also have to say, they dropped it back on pass 82% of the time. What the hell is that? They're the number one rushing team in the NFL. And for all the praise Todd Munkin got as the new offensive coordinator uh, in Baltimore, he didn't play well. The team didn't play well. The coaching staff didn't call the right game. And Lamar did not play well in the Crucible. All of those things are true. You know what's interesting? You've got the new show coming out, the new segment's called Alternate Route. I'm wondering if at ESPN you don't become, quote, the NFL guy or just, you know, well-known with your NFL coverage. I wonder what – you were drawn to the league. You love the league. I know that. Grew up a Cowboys fan. But isn't it interesting for you, like, if you don't get placed into the football shows there, what you – I mean, you'd probably be working at the Golf Channel, if I had to guess. That would be true. I'm I'm doing some stuff for the PGA Tour as well, and I I look like I'll be doing the U.S. Open and the Open Championship with NBC this summer, so I'm very excited about that. But you're right. I mean, one thing changes everything, you know, and – uh, when they when they were going to make a change on the six o'clock show that I was doing, they stuck me on the NBA, and I went to the executive office and look, I, this is great, but I'm not doing this, so we need to come up with something else. Uh, and they came up with the show NFL Live, and so, there are three things I'm most proud of of my 20 plus years at ESPN. One, we launched that show in the stratosphere when it was a half hour show on ESPN two, and we made it an hour long show Monday through Friday on ESPN. I'm really proud of that. Obviously, I'm proud of the work. Sadly, that Bob Lee and I did together on 9-11 uh, during uh, uh, 6 o'clock sports center that week when we were the only ones on the air, and obviously the draft, especially the COVID draft, when nothing else was going on. But, yeah, if that happens, if that doesn't happen, maybe things don't go the way they, they have been for me, and it's been wonderful all the way around. And what do you miss most about St. Louis other than Frank Cusimano picking up your dry cleaning? <laughs> Uh, listen, both our kids were born there. It's always our second home. We're going to be back there this fall for one of our friend's daughter's wedding. Uh, St. Louis was a wonderful place for us. It was just warm and welcoming, and uh, we loved living there. Obviously, all the things you can do with a young family there have been fantastic. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to put into perspective what the Cardinal fan base is like. You know, I had a buddy of mine when I first got to ESPN. He was telling me, oh, the Yankees have the, the best fan base in the world. You know, game six of whatever the World Series was electric. I'm like, bro. If you can't get upset up, up for Game Six of the World Series, you're a terrible fan. Right. Come watch a come watch a Sunday night baseball game uh, in St. Louis at Bush Old Bush Stadium when the Cardinals are 20 games out of first place, and it's still 40, 56, 60 percent filled, and they're applauding the Braves for uh, moving the runner over from first to second on a ground ball. Like, that's a fan base. That's a fan base. The Cardinal fan base is as good as it gets. The one, the only, Trey Wingo, our guest. Thanks so much for the time. We're pulling him away from his life in Hawaii to talk some football. And one more time, Trey, uh, all the different ventures you're involved with if folks want to find him. Yeah, 3013 website. You can find that, that anywhere. I do the show with Chase Daniel, the Legend, as you said. Do some work for the PGA Tour. Uh, i got the new 
get your podcast, Stunt App, which is basically Twitter without all the crap. It's just sports. Uh, we're down. I'm doing a show with Mark Schlera uh, later on today. Uh, download the Stunt App in the App Store or Google Play, wherever you want, and you can create your own shows and have your own voice. It's really a fantastic thing. And just uh, having a lot of fun as we go along here. Our old buddy Rick Smith, the PR guy from the Rams. Hey, holy crap. Uh, hey, Wingo, you got a lot going on. Uh, yeah, I don't know when you sleep, but uh, hey, hey, appreciate the time. <laughs> Stealing a base. Thanks, Trey. <laughs> you got it, Martin. Take care. Fun talking football with Trey, talking golf, life in Hawaii. What a great life Trey's got going. Life after ESPN. One of our great sponsors, Altair Travel. Speaking of Hawaii, you want to plan a trip? Talk to the folks at Altair Travel. Wherever you're headed or you want to head, domestic or international, business or pleasure, they can get you there with great expertise. Their staff is more than 50-plus travel specialists. So wherever it is on the globe that you're looking to go, they probably have somebody on staff who's already been there. It's Altair Travel, located in Brentwood, same location for many years, right next to O.B. Clark's on Brentwood Boulevard there. On the web, it's altairtravel.com. Whatever you have in mind, it's often a big trip that you're thinking about that needs the expertise. You don't want to get it wrong if it's a honeymoon. Or if a destination wedding is what you're thinking about, a beach vacation, an adventure holiday. All of these things take an expert. And that's what they have at Altair Travel. They have been doing this now for, what, more than 40 years, making them one of the largest full-service agencies in this region. So for all your travel needs, maybe businesses out there, you want to do some business incentives, they can help you with that as well. Whatever it is, domestic, international, business, fun, family event, Last-minute little spring training trip, perhaps. Call the folks at Altair Travel, 314-968-9600. 314-968-9600. Get those travel dreams fulfilled at Altair Travel. Winding it down on this Monday, the Kilcoin Conversation, as always, joined by Brendan Weesey, sports director at KTRS. Not a big NFL guy, but remember what I said a week ago. Can you imagine people not watching Bills and Chiefs, and I saw a tweet Sunday night, Scott Van Pelt, ESPN anchor, been there forever, and he said, I know there are people in this world who do not consume sports. He said whether, and I'm paraphrasing, whether they enjoy knitting or pottery or whatever. He said, I'm sure they are all lovely pursuits, but I just can't imagine not being plugged in on this, and Sunday was one of those days where it's hard to imagine too many people. So even locally, and you like the sports numbers, the Chiefs game on Channel 4, and this is for the greater St. Louis region. So you're in the Metro East, you're going down probably to Herman and Washington Mo, but 400,000 people on average, there were higher numbers than that, but on average, 400,000 people in this area were watching that Chiefs game. It was a little lower for the Lions Niners. It's I'm a little surprised because it was the night game. This is primetime, right? But... Interest level, Chiefs is really big right now. So it was about 325,000, which is still massive amounts of people. So I think even though you're not a diehard NFL guy, of course you were you're locked Absolutely. in, right? It was uh, two you know, pretty compelling games. And I, it, it's interesting because I, I think the interest level – uh, in the league just appears to be through the roof and certainly the interest level in the Chiefs. But it, it to me, I do think is, is quarterback play 
on the whole for the year, not down just a little bit. You look at the teams that were in there, uh, and Baltimore being the top seed in the AFC, I thought the Chiefs were... Th- I was really shocked all week to see the number of people I saw that said Baltimore's going to win this game going away. Did you not see no, that, I'm glad too? you said that. I'm glad because I thought, and I was... Okay, so my son plays flag football, and one of the parents, they're from the Kansas City area. They love the Chiefs, and I people like that, they're not bandwagon. They grew up with the Chiefs, yeah. thick and thin. And I said to the dad, I said... I think you guys are fine. He's like, really? And I said, the Ravens will score. I said, like, seven or ten points. They just won't score. It's who they are. Love the mayor, Mo Drummond. We were texting in the morning, (laughs) and I said, best of luck. And I didn't have the heart to say to him, you're just not going to score. Like, I know who the Ravens are for 20 years now. I assumed the Chiefs would win. I really did. I guess I'm not a gambling guy. Maybe I should have put some money down and backed it up. And the Chiefs were, you know, what, three, four-point dogs in that game? And it just felt like whether it was Chiefs fans and then just the NFL public as a whole felt like Baltimore would win the game and maybe win the game big. And part of that was, I I think, the stigma held through all year long that the Chiefs have no wide receivers and they played poorly for much of the year, but they did collectively step up yesterday. Travis Kelsey, obviously tight end, not directly a wide receiver, but involved heavily in the passing game. That was probably Kelsey's best game of the year, right? 11 targets, 11 11 catches. catches. Had the tremendous touchdown grab early that sort of set the Chiefs' path the rest of the way because there weren't a lot of touchdowns the rest of the ball game. So that was so big early as the defenses took over. And golly, just how do you bet against Patrick Mahomes? Time in or time and again, he is there. I mean, he makes a living just going to the AFC championship game. And now it's a chance to uh, to win two Super Bowls in a row. Yeah, I didn't get this whole people didn't believe in us, but there was a little about Kelsey's deteriorating a little bit. Yeah. And I think some people were annoyed by the Taylor Swift thing, but I think more people are talking about people being annoyed about it than are actually annoyed by it. You know what I yep, mean? Yep. It's a whole thing now where people, and it was fun getting Trey Wingo's input on all this. He covers the NFL. He watches every snap that you and I don't watch. But I feel like it's become its own thing now to like complain about the complainers as opposed to the actual complaint. Like Taylor Swift is fine. Who cares? I mean, it's it's part of the storyline. I don't think it's overdone. And if you're if you're interested in it, great. If you're not, can you avoid it? Yeah. I mean, it's a cutaway shot every once in a while. What's a cutaway shot in TV? Three seconds? Four right. seconds? It doesn't really. It shouldn't affect your enjoyment of the game. Now the other one, I wanted Detroit to win because of the local kids. I was a Niner fan. I was born in San Francisco, so I always kind of liked the Niners going back to Montana. But I didn't really – I wasn't emotionally invested, but I wanted the Lions to win. So when it was 24-7, at work I said, oh, man, I thought we'd get a better game. And then all of a sudden, oh, we got a great game. Oh, boy. And I was like, oh, no, now careful what you wish for. (laughs) And all of a sudden it just goes sideways. And now Detroit – who our guy last week, Dan Miller, longtime radio voice, was on the show, and he said, you know, call it the Cubs factor, whatever it is, mm. lovable losers. Now they're back to getting the pity. We're like, oh, you poor lion. It's just it's hard to believe how quickly it turned. Dan if, Campbell getting hammered today. Absolutely. And, you know, we've been talking about it, but I would, I would say this, and I guess I've said it a few times now, 
how is it that that's their thing, right? They don't kick field goals. That's their thing. So people who have defended them have said that's their thing. Then why at the end of the first half would you not go for the touchdown? Remember, they kicked a field goal, fourth and goal. It was at about the two or three, fourth and goal. And they kicked a field goal, which made sense. You went up 24-7. to It made total sense. But I don't get I thought you don't really – do that. You don't kick field goals. And anyway, I would like to see consistency and I would love to know Detroit fans. You love the guy. Absolutely love the guy. He's done so much already. But did it did the approval rating drop a little bit with all of that? So I didn't have a huge problem with him kicking at the end of the first half because that's at that point you've got one play left, right? And it's a gimme field goal. So it's three points. If you kick it, you're getting it. Where he's leaving some points on the field, they they weren't the gimme field goals. I thought his most egregious call of the night was running it on third down. Yes, there on, on the final on the final drive where you run it and you don't get it. You have to use the timeout. If you throw an incomplete pass, you don't pick up the touchdown. The clock stops. Right. Maintain your timeout and you get one more shot. I, it, it, that was. So so bad, and cooked cooked the Lions. Ball game was over there because um, they they ta- I I didn't realize how low the percentage is now in the NFL for recovering onside kicks. I think they were saying something like maybe two or three percent. I mean, it just it does not happen. So the odds of you getting that ball back are so slim. So you maintain your three timeouts. If you stop them three straight, you get the ball with what? Maybe you would have had maybe half a minute left, forty-five seconds, to march the ball down the field without any time, uh, without any um, timeouts. But all you would have needed was a field goal to tie it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, the 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 run on third down to me is is I think the worst call and what some found many questionable calls by Dan uh, Dan Campbell. Yeah, and I. Again, it's who they are. It's their mentality. But I think maybe, and Jeremy Macklin said this on TV on Fox 2 Sunday night. He said, I get all of that, but in certain situations, certain moments. And now this is a former player at the NFL level, but also he's currently coaching. High school, yes, but he's got his coach brain on now. And he said, I totally understand all that, but I think there's certain situations where you got to take into everything into account. And kind of like, this is who we are. This is what we do. But like right now, if we could potentially tie it with that late field goal, I think you got to do it. Uh, anyway, it's fun to talk about. This is where the NFL wins. They are made for the debate shows because oh there's always so much fodder and there's so much to chew on. Uh, luckily, locally, the Blues, and I said you can't one-up the NFL, but the Blues are trying, man. They play on a Sunday when it's championship Sunday. NHL gets out of the way. They only had two games scheduled total. One of them was the Blues. They've won five in a row, done it in thrilling fashion. And I've been saying this as well. It's necessary. As bad as the basketball is right now, college basketball, you need the Blues to be interesting. And boy, they've they've done their part. And I will let them say this: if they make the playoffs, and I'm down there and interviewing Braden Shen, and he said, "Hey, you said we stink and we're not going to make it." That's correct. I did say. Nobody believed in us. That tired mantra. If it's the Blues, we say. That's correct. Nobody. <laughs> it's a hundred percent true. And it's it's you've mentioned the in the NHL you pull the plug on coaches and you do it quick with it's almost like pulling off a band aid. You don't think about it. You just go. You do it. And 
even though in retrospect, I'll continue to say I, I think Chief, I think Craig Berube deserved a better fate, deserved an opportunity to turn it around, but that's not the way it generally works in the NHL. You move swiftly to uh, to, to pull the plug in a spot like that, and I, I don't know if, if Drew Bannister is some sort of wizard of a coach. Maybe he'll turn out to be. Who, who really knows? But... Something has happened. A, a, a switch was flipped where this team has played better. They've also been a little bit more fortuitous. I mean, the bounces seemingly have gone their way. They love winning games 4-3 to three now. What do they call That's it? Puck a, luck? Puck luck. The puck <laughs> luck has been on the blue side. But, hey, I mean, they, they probably deserved uh, they probably deserved that opportunity to see things flip a little bit. So, Maybe, maybe this team has got a, a shot to hang around. I, yeah, I'm with you. I hope they do because there isn't a, a ton to get excited about just around here. And then you know we're going to be knee deep in Cardinals soon. Soccer's still a few weeks away from starting up, but uh, they're they're in the mix as well. A lot happening, but uh, good to see the Blues kind of front and center again. Uh, what do we have this week? We have Mizzou basketball on Wednesday, right? They're home to they Arkansas. Are, yeah. Uh, Tiger Talk Tuesday, I want to say. Is that uh, Tiger Talk's tonight. Tonight. Tiger Talk's coming oh, it's up coming. It's mere moments. It's mere moments So my away. next question, Brendan, was going to be what's coming <laughs> up on the big sports show. And I guess I know the answer. Why don't you tell me what movie you want to see? <laughs> <laughs> Tiger Talk next. Valley on the Big 550 at 8. So we continue to count folks down to Arch Madness and... Um, yeah, coming up here, a lot of uh, hoops talk over the next two hours. And we'll talk blues and whiskey with Chris Pronger on the Tuesday edition of the Killcoin Conversation. The way this came about, sometimes Brendan and I have a plan on who I want on. Other times things just sort of happen. I was at Schnooks at about 7.45 in the morning one day last week. Kids had just gotten to school. I ran in to grab something, and I see this giant display for Chris Pronger's whiskey journey oh. that he and his brother launched. It was around this time, maybe last spring. Yeah. And he's been actively promoting its Canadian whiskey. Giant display. So I send him a picture. I said, look at you bullying your way into the Schnooks aisles. Because I had a friend of mine who, it's a long story, but he was trying to get into the olive oil business. And he said, you don't understand. You can't get in. Like, you can't get on a shelf. He said, it's almost like the mafia. you got to know somebody. So I'm like, look at Pronger here bullying his way into... So I send him the pictures, like, attaboy or whatever, and then he writes back, did you buy any? And I said, it was 7.45, and the people will talk. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not, I was buying, like, a loaf of bread or something. <laughs> so then we started just going back and forth, and I said, hey, you need to come on the show. Okay. So that'll be on Tuesday. Check it in with Chris Pronger. Stay tuned. Tiger Talk is next.